Welcome to Girl Power History. Uh, This is our third episode. We're super excited to be here and talk about different women through history, their untold stories. Even though we seem, we we think they're pretty known, but this episode in particular, no one knows uh, about. (laughs) And it's hits pretty close to home for us. We're super excited to talk about this one. This is brought to you by our very own Alexa. Hi. It's me. <laughs> it's me, Mario. Uh, I mean, Alexa. <laughs> oh, do you remember when my grandma used to call you Aleska? Yes, it haunts me to this very day. Oh, Aleska. <laughs> um, that's good. Anyways, how was your weekend? Um, it was good. I uh, had t- a double party for my children because. They need to learn how to share better. Um, <laughs> so that happened. What about you? Um, well, we have a heat wave here. Sorry, I didn't. I couldn't attend your party. Um, you could have zoomed in. You could have zoomed. <laughs> I was at a lake. Oh, I, um, I was at a lake. I was at a lake. That's so romantic. <laughs> With two other couples. Yeah. Um, we. So I live in Washington State. Alexa lives in Illinois. I moved to Washington State last year um, for my husband's job. So, uh, so yeah. So I would have loved to have been there. I hate not being around my family, but you're um, in a beautiful lake. Yeah, because there's a heat wave here. It's like a hundred. Um, well, it's supposed to be a, like the high is 115 today. That's too much. Is... Did you tell him it's too much? I think it's I too did. much. Apparently, there's like a heat bubble. I don't understand this, but no one in the state, well, not the state, but like in the Seattle area believes in air conditioning. It's just like not a thing that's built in with houses. I am extremely blessed to have a house that the previous owners installed AC. So I have like 15 people coming over for dinner tonight. Did so. you know that before you bought that house? Did that, was that like on your mind? Cause that's not something that I would even like think about. Think when that I was you, yeah. Buying. Like that just, that's just what houses have now. It, well, that was one thing that our real estate agent, she was like, she was like, yeah, you don't really need it. Like, because there was like all these houses that they would go over like the systems and stuff with us when we would see the houses. And she's like, she's like, I was like, wait, it doesn't have AC. So I knew that when we were like looking at houses, but then she was like, yeah, there's like maybe two weeks that you need AC. I feel like that is not true. Like it's like 95 here. And when it, even when it's like 85 or 90, like it's still nice to have AC. 
Like, I don't know. Yeah, but even if it's a couple of weeks, if it's 115 degrees, <laughs> that's a pretty rough couple of weeks, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we have friends that have babies and um, we just like gave our garage code and was like, just in case you guys need to come here because it's so, they have yeah. one room with AC. Like it's just ridiculous. They have like cooling centers, like buildings set up for people to go stay at so they don't have to like go rent a hotel or something right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like, that's insane. Yeah, it's... Well, uh, I hope people out there are okay. Yeah, I, I hope everyone's safe. And, you know, I'm telling as many people to come to my house so they can have AC. So we have... And your address is? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that is not going to be happening. <laughs> Please go to that's the okay. locations that are for cooling centers because I can't host everyone. <laughs> I would love to, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay hydrated, stay safe. Um, maybe get air conditioning built into houses. Like, there's all these new builds. They're still not putting AC units in. That's it. so bizarre. It my mind. I can't even yeah. comprehend that. And the houses are so expensive here. It's not like they're like not ex- like they're ridiculously expensive. Yeah. The market is so crazy here, and they still don't have the option for AC crazy. I digress. So my weekend, I went to the lake all weekend and it was amazing. Um, There's like beautiful like glacier lakes around here. Um, Elder Lake is where we went on Sunday and it's just so cool. It's, I live in a beautiful state. You have to come visit me. I know I'm going to. Yeah. I'm excited. Hopefully soon. Um, soon. So should I talk about my baking experience <laughs> shopping? <laughs> oh. I, so, here's a clever trick. <laughs> if you're too cheap to buy a cookbook but want to bake something from it, you can just go to Target <laughs> and walk around with the cookbook and buy all the ingredients for it. Um, just just Great. a little life hack there. <laughs> But bring it back so you like you don't have to have another person bring it back yes. for you. I kind of was worried like a little bit that someone was like going to stop me. But what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to do? I know, according to Seinfeld, <laughs> you cannot bring books that you have not purchased into a bathroom. So, I mean, I didn't do that. <laughs> I did. I needed the ingredient list. So that's what I did. And they came out well, very good. I mean, like people take pictures of cookbooks. Also, like... You're testing it out. You now did. have tried. I'm actually going to go back and buy it. So, yeah. So, and, I'm very sorry. Yeah. Well, who's the, who's so who the author is Claire so, Saffitz? Yeah, Claire Saffitz. She was on Bon Appetit. She's not anymore. She has her own cookbook and channel. It's called Dessert Person. Her brownies, they're called Forever Brownies, and they were so good. That I ate, I ate one for breakfast this morning, and it was the last one. And they actually, my cake was gone yesterday, and my brownies were gone yesterday. And so I, I think that's a good sign that I should go buy the book. And it's dessert person. It's not. It's not all dessert. There's pizzas in there. There's like focaccia. Like there's it's everything. So I think it's a good blend between savory and sweet, which is yeah. I'm not like I I was never a dessert person. I don't know if I even would consider myself a dessert person now, but um, yeah, I like it. So 
Yeah. I'm not a huge dessert. Like there's certain desserts that I like, but I'm not someone that just like always wants sweet stuff. Yeah. Neither do I. I would rather have cheese. I want cheese. Yes. Like I like (laughs) if they had like an appetizer menu, but that was like after dinner, like I think I would just order instead of like a dessert, like another appetizer. That was some of those like the real bougie places they're like do you want a cheese platter for your dessert like they'll be on like the one the one like crazy michelin star restaurant that i not the one but like one of it was it had a cheese platter at the end and it was we did get that it was amazing yeah and then they have like your little your little uh sweet wines that you drink with it or your ports that's Mm. awesome Mm. delicious that's that's my type of dessert all right Let's get into Anyways, this episode. let's get it. Yeah. We're going to do this. Now I'm hungry. So <laughs> let's talk about this story and I won't be hungry. You anymore. will not be hungry. <laughs> All right. So. Let's do it. All right. Hold on to your butt. <laughs> I'm seated. <laughs> I am ready to go. All right. In 1917, the U.S. Radium Corporation, originally called Radium Luminous Material Corporation, created a luminous paint product called Undark by extracting and purifying radium from carnitite ore. After creating this Undark paint, U.S. Radium Corporation was contracted by the U.S. government to supply military personnel with radioluminescent watches. The letters of these watches were hand-painted in a factory in Orange, New Jersey, mainly by women as young as 11. Wow. When was this? 19 what? 1917. Wow. Again, the world was so different like 100 years ago. We were working at that age, so I mean... 11? I was like pretending to be a hostess. That wasn't like, I wasn't dealing with hazardous material. That's true. Well, they didn't. <laughs> I'll get to that. I'll get to oh, that. Okay. <laughs> um, I have one uh, advertisement from when Undark came out and it says the power of radium at your disposal. 23 years ago, radium was unknown. Today, thanks to a constant laboratory work, The power of this most unusual of elements is at your disposal. Through the medium of Undark, radium serves you safely and surely. Does Undark really contain radium? Most assuredly. It is radium combined in exactly the proper manner with zinc sulfide, which gives Undark its ability to shine continuously in the dark. Manufacturers have been quick to recognize the value of Undark. They apply it to the dials of watches and clocks, to electric push buttons, to the buckles of a bedroom slippers, to house numbers, flashlights, compasses, gasoline gauges, autometers, and many other articles which you frequently wish to see in the dark. The next time you fumble for a lighting light, lighting switch, bark your shins on furniture bark your shins on furniture that's funny wonder you're vainly wonder vainly what time it is because of the dark remember undark it shines in the dark dealers can supply you with undark articles for interesting little folder telling of the production of radium and the uses of undark address radius radium luminous materials corporation in new york city wow uh did they forget to do all of the health checks during that time? 
Oh, you didn't need it back then. Don't worry. Don't worry. It'll be fine. All right. I'm going to keep going. We'll, we'll keep going. But like, how did, how did people survive? That's like one question. Like, second question, how are we still alive? Like, <laughs> the human race, I mean. <laughs> We're just going to smear this on literally everything. It's not the time when I had like, like, signs for like cocaine and heroin like heroin have a headache take heroin <laughs> that was when it was in your coca-cola that was that was the the true coca-cola <laughs> oh Lord. so owners and scientists at the manufacturing plant carefully avoided contact with radium by using gloves masks tongs and lead screens because they knew it was fucking dangerous but for the women working in the factory, it was a different procedure altogether because like the rest of the world, no one really knew what the effects of radium were and most thought it was not only harmless, but it might even be a cure for cancer and other serious diseases. So the, the men, company... sorry, so oh, so yeah. the men at the facility would wear protection, but everybody else, the women who were handling this did not even wear gloves? Yes. <laughs> okay. Continue. Sorry, I just wanted to just wait. C- clear that up real quick. <laughs> Companies told the woman that radium was harmless and that it would make them beautiful. Oh my God. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. <laughs> but the men didn't want to be beautiful? The men, the men didn't want to be beautiful? They... <laughs> they can't glow in the dark. They're men. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Okay. One woman by the name of Grace Fryer started working at the factory in the spring of 1917, along with 70 other women in a large, dusty room filled with long tables. Each woman had a chair where they would complete their painting, and behind them sat large racks of dials waiting to be painted. Women would perform various tasks, including handling radium without any protection. They would mix their own radium paint by mixing glue, water, and radium powder, and then applying the glowing greenish-white paint to the watch faces with a camel hair brush. Each woman would paint 250 dials a day, which is about one and a half cents per dial, so about $3.75 a day back then. Worth that's, death. <laughs> and that's $76 in today's money. For a year or for no, a month? A day. Oh, $76 for one day's work. And what is one? Day? How many hours did they work? I don't know. It was, it was the 19, it was 1917. So what? like 12 16? hour shifts. Yeah, 16. 16. <laughs> <laughs> they actually lived there. <laughs> At least 12. Um, using camel hair brushes. Um, those were great for creating the fine detailing that the numbers on the watch needed, but in order to keep the tips of the brushes sharp, the women were encouraged to lip, dip, and paint, creating a pointed tip with their lips. Thinking it was harmless, the women all also liked to play with the radium that they thought was safe by painting their faces, nails, and even their teeth with radium. Some would even paint their dresses before going out for the night. Oh my God. Wow. That's, uh, that escalated very quickly. 
Grace said, our instructors told us to point them with our lips. I think I pointed mine with my lips about six times to every watch dial. It didn't taste funny. It didn't have any taste. I didn't know it was harmful. In 1922, after the success of the first plant, another company was created in Ottawa, Illinois. So, I say the S. Illinois? Located, did you say know, Illinois? I did. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry, but I say it because there's an S there. That's where we're from. Sort I, of. I, yeah, I'm sitting in it right now, okay? Yeah, I'm not. It's Illinois. No s- <laughs> <laughs> We're a bunch of snakes. <laughs> the company was located in the town's former high school, and their largest client was the West Clocks Corporation in Peru, Illinois. Another plant was also opened in Waterbury, Connecticut. So Grace quit the factory in 1920 and instead began working as a bank teller. But after two years, her teeth began falling out, and she began to have painful abscesses on her jaw. She began consulting with many doctors, but they never had seen anything like what Grace was suffering. She was constantly in immense amounts of pain, and x-rays showed serious bone decay. In 1925, a doctor finally had an idea, and it had to do with her previous occupation. That was how many years after? So that was 1917 when it was like so eight years. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, other women started experiencing similar symptoms. Most of the symptoms started in their mouths with dental pain, loose teeth, lesions, and ulcers. And when dentists would try to extract the teeth, many of the sites would fail to heal altogether. Wow. Women also began to suffer from conditions in mainly their bones and blood, like anemia, bone fractures, and something that was later termed as radium jaw, which is necrosis of the jaw. And it gets worse. Women also begin to miss their periods and even become infertile. Oh my gosh. Grace started to look into her illness and she sought the opinion of a recommended Columbia University specialist. He showed that she was in perfect health and his colleague agreed. Aside from the fact that her face was falling off and her body was decaying. You gotta love doctors back then. Yeah. This is when Grace learned about a disinformation campaign. And the specialist that she saw was in fact not a licensed to practice medicine, but was instead a toxicologist under contract with U.S. Radium. And the colleague was the fucking vice president of U.S. Radium and surprisingly, had no medical training. Oh my God, what a dick. As the women were getting sick, US Radium and other watchdial companies began a disinformation campaign denying the fact that radium was indeed the cause of the women's illnesses and that it was likely due to the x-ray machines used by the doctors during their examinations. (laughs) that's hilarious oh my god 
The doctors, dentists, and researchers complied with requests from the companies to hide their findings and agree that the radium was not the cause for the women's illnesses. Oh my gosh. Really? Instead, the doctors claimed that the likely cause for all the women was syphilis. Are you fucking kidding me? No, so basically they're trying to completely slander these women and ruin their character. Yes, by claiming that sexual promiscuity was the culprit. Fucking assholes. And this is why women are so angry still. Like, (laughs) that is why there's feminists, because it was that shit that happened. (laughs) Fuck that. The first Kyle Painter, she died in 1923. And before she died, her her jaw actually fell away from her skull. Oh, my God. The pain those women had to be in. Like, oh, oh my like God. I have a little toothache or like my I have like a sensitive like teeth with like cold and hot. And like that shit is painful. Like I could imagine losing your jaw or like teeth falling out. Oh, my God. Like. And, and and just to go to a doctor and I'm like, no, you look good to me. <laughs> In what world is this? You are in perfect health. Perfect. We've got we have medical tape that probably just got invented. <laughs> I'm going to tape your jaw shut because you don't need that. <laughs> perfect health. <laughs> My God blessed you with two two. Two teeth. Two teeth rows. <laughs> you have jaws. You have enough. That's you got tops and bottoms. You don't need both. <laughs> you only need one. The bottom can fall off. It's okay. <laughs> in 1924, 50 women at the New Jersey plant were ill and at least 12 had died. And in 1928, the 16th victim, which was Dr. Sabin A. Von Sikoski. You got that. So shock, so shocky. I looked it up before I, <laughs> and then I forgot. Okay, that's what it is. Show shocky. Um, so shocky. So shocky. Oh, me, so, me so shocky. <laughs> okay. he, he happened to have invented radium dial paints, and he died from exposure to radium on his hands, and he died toothless and fingerless at the age of forty-five. Good. Okay, so we got a man that died. That's exciting. One dude, one dude, all the rest females. Okay? All the women. So Grace Fryer was dying, and she wanted to take on U.S. radium. But there were not any lawyers that were willing to take on the case, especially because U.S. radium was such a large company with many powerful influences. And it was But two woman. years later... In January 1928, a total of five women made their first court appearance to testify against U.S. radium, and they were represented by a young lawyer from Newark named Raymond Berry. Damn right, Raymond. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray Ray. Two of the women were bedridden, and none of them were strong enough to raise their arms to take an oath. Hmm. These women were Grace Fryer, Edna Hussman, Catherine Schaub, Quinta McDonald, and Albina Larice. 
they were known as the Radium Girls. Oh, and they were, like, dying. Yeah, there's um pictures. There's a lot of pictures and a lot of stuff about this. But you could see, like, them, like, in hospital beds, like, in the courtroom. I honestly did not think it was, like, that devastating. I thought this was the... um a different story. So I was thinking oh. of someone else. So yeah, this is, um, there's a, is there a movie about this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I have a bunch of stuff at the end. There's, there's a lot of content. Okay. For but, and reason, I've heard, go ahead. I've heard like about these a lot, um, and the story a lot, but today and like me diving into all of this, I still did not know like the, like how crazy this is yeah and how close and how close to home it hits so you'll you'll see about that later so in the women were seeking in illinois <laughs> you're gonna be so mad at me i am <laughs> the women yeah. were seeking two hundred and fifty thousand dollars each for their injuries but u.s radium had an idea how can the case move forward if all the plaintiffs are dead that so they asked for the trial to be delayed because most of the witnesses and employees on their defense are vacationing in europe and because this is america (laughs) the judge agreed and the trial was delayed until september of that year good okay in any case a plan needed needed to be hatched in case the U.S. radium did indeed run out the clock and none of the women made it to the trial. And this is where we enter Dr. Alice Hamilton, a Harvard professor of public health, Florence Kelly, an activist and founder of the Consumers League, which was created to end child labor and create acceptable working conditions. Kathleen Wiley, a human rights activist, activist, And finally, Walter Lippmann, a writer and editor for Joseph Pulitzer's New York World. And Joseph Pulitzer of the prize. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Lippmann's writing style was known for being calm, rational, and reasonable. However, what he wrote concerning the trial of the Radium Girls was anything but. Lippmann wrote, This is a damnable travesty of justice. There is no possible excuse for such a delay. The women are dying. If ever a case called for prompt adjudication, it is a case of five crippled women who are fighting for a few miserable dollars to ease their last days on earth. The trial gained a lot of media attention and public outcries eventually led to the judge to schedule a hearing in June instead of September. But as the date approached, U.S. Radium agreed to arbitration and that they would settle out of court because this was only the only way that the women were guaranteed a settlement. They agreed. And it's also speculated that the judge had financial stake in us radium and was therefore biased. So I think if the women knew that, or if someone knew that and told them, like they knew that their only chance really was to do arbitration. 
but how would he like legally be able to be the judge in that case if he held stake that would be a conflict of interest and he would be automatically kicked off of that i am betting that that was not a thing back then how would it not be that was like i it just that would blow my mind if that wasn't a thing because i mean that's like very very clear i i would yeah i almost want to look up that law because that's like i I feel like that's very common like if there's a conflict of interest you you excuse yourself yeah i'm not sure i i've I've seen worse each of the women were awarded ten thousand dollars a six hundred dollar annuity for the rest of their lives and twelve dollars a week and then their medical and legal expenses were paid so in today's money they each received $150,000, $9,000 a year, and $200 a week. But Is that, that didn't last long. lived for like when they were alive instead so, of- So yeah, so they got the $150,000 and then the $9,000 a year and then $200 a week was like until they they died. Which that's like, I mean, shitty in itself because they should have done a lump sum for their family. Because if, you know, like that income yeah. was only coming in when they were alive, like- yeah. Big corporations were shittier then. And all five women were dead by the 1930s. Wow. So, I mean, it was just a few years of the annuity payments. So, immediately after the New Jersey settlement, the National Consumers League launched an investigation into other sites and found that radium studies and effects had been covered up for years by the company. And meanwhile, workers meanwhile, workers in Illinois, Illinois, didn't hear about anything happening in New Jersey and started asking for compensation for dental and other medical bills in 1927, but they were refused by management. Um, Margaret Pegg Looney was one of the first in Illinois to die from radium poisoning. She began working as a dial painter at the age of 17. She was the oldest of 10 children and would often bring little vials of radium paint home to play with her younger siblings. She would turn off the lights paint their fingernails and eyelids and lips and they would laugh while they glowed in the dark oh no six years later at the age of 24 peg would be dead it started with a tooth being removed and the sight not healing she became anemic and weak and ended with her fiance pulling her around in a wagon when it became too painful for her to walk one day she collapsed at work and she was sent to a company hospital where her family was not allowed to visit They were told that she had diphtheria, which is a respiratory illness that we were all vaccinated for. She died alone, even though several of her family members were trying to see her at the time of her death. Wow. Radium Dial tried to have her immediately buried, but the family refused and asked for her to have a Catholic funeral along with an autopsy, which they agreed to. Um, And the family wanted their... (laughs) Like... Yeah. Well, they wanted their personal, like, they wanted Peg's doctor to be present. And seemingly they agreed to it. However, when the doctor arrived, the autopsy was already done. Wow. Yeah. So ridiculous. A great niece of Peg, um, her name was Darlene Hong said that there was overwhelming evidence that Radium Dial knew the women were getting sick, and despite all of her symptoms, they told Peg that she was very healthy and that she also tested negative for radiation. So they were just blatantly, like, lying. Yeah. Crazy. 
Another dial painter in Illinois, Catherine Donahue, started feeling ill in 1925. Her illness led to pain that caused her to limp. In 1931, she was fired because, to quote Catherine, because my limping was causing so much talk. Oh my God, why didn't these women just run? Because they couldn't at that time. Catherine's condition soon took a turn for the worst. She lost half of her body weight and parts of her jaw fell out. Catherine and other dial painters, one who had her arm amputated from all of this, decided to sue and they became known from a news article as the Society of the Living Dead. Lovely name. Terrifying. It wasn't until 1937 when a lawsuit was brought before the Illinois Industrial Commission. Um, Five women brought the lawsuit similar to the original Radium Girls lawsuit, but by this time, Radium Dial had already closed and moved to New York. And because you can't sue across state lines at this time, which you still still kind of can't. Anyway. Wait, why can't you? uh, Jurisdiction. Yeah, but if it was... Because if a company closes and... A and they move to like a different state. They're operating under the laws of the new state. Um, so yeah, you can't you can claim jurisdiction. Which you could, but it was also it's not like they went bankrupt and left there. They just relocated. So saying that they weren't well, in they like they closed then. their company and then they moved it. So they like had a new company in New York. Um, yeah, they did it like they knew what they were doing. Wow. Um, so they left an indemnity deposit of $10,000 to the Illinois industrial commission to cover any future lawsuits, which I feel like is like a friend leaving dinner early and just throwing down like what they think they owe and like, but it's not enough. Like they, they throw down like a 20 and they ordered like a porterhouse steak and you're like, ah, (laughs) yeah. And like three martinis. Yeah. I just want to cover it. (laughs) Like, I feel like it's exactly that situation. Which I feel like we all have been, like, in that situation where you're at the table and your friend does that. And you're just like, what? Like, like, oh, you want me to just, like, you know, Venmo request the money later? Or are we, you think we're square? This is, no? Okay. (laughs) So in 1938, the IIC ruled in favor of the women, but an attorney... I feel like this is like the equivalent of like a friend vouching for another friend that like isn't there anymore. It's like accused of being a dick. And they're like, no, no, they're a really cool guy. I hate those people. (laughs) Anyway, so this attorney keeps like appealing on behalf of like Radium Dial. But they were like, no. And then he was like, fine, let me speak to your manager. And he appealed to like the Supreme Court in October of 1939. But then they were like, no, bro. And... The lower court rulings were upheld, of which there were eight. Eight times. Wow. And the women were collectively awarded $10,000. So all of them had to split the $10,000. How many women? They were not, um, there was five, but not all of them collected it, including Catherine, who did not survive to the eighth appeal. 
So they were in litigation when, like, there was appeals being filed against them when they shut down and moved to New York. No. So, it, like, they, they weren't, they like, they didn't actually get to litigation until after the company moved. Okay. Slimy, slimy people. Yeah. They knew exactly what they were doing. Because they'll do it again. Just, you'll, you'll see. Oh, okay. And during this time, the Illinois women did not have the same support that was created by Walter Littman's article in New Jersey. Most of the locals believed that the radium dial company was providing well-paying jobs and the women were jeopardizing that. So after radium dial lost its final appeal, they ousted their president, Joseph Kelly, in New York. And he went back and opened another watch dial factory in the same town of Ottawa. And he called it Luminous. And uh, it was dubbed the, the Death Factory by a United Press International article. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission fined Luminous for having 1,666 times the allowable amount of radium in their facility. Oh my gosh. That's way Which, too much. I mean, that's a little that's over. A little over. A little too much. Yeah. Um, so cancer ran high among the employees and they began to sue the company. In 1984, to avoid financial liability, they shuffled their holdings and closed the company. So basically, he did the same thing again. So the Radium Girls forever impacted working conditions and labor rights, including the right for individual workers to sue for damages from corporations for labor abuse. Specifically, the Occupational Disease Law enacted in 1936 in Illinois which covered employees for injury to health or death by reason of disease contracted or sustained in the course of employment and proximity caused by negligence of the employers. And Illinois was also one of the earliest adopters of workman's comp, by the way. Yeah. And who did that? Women. <laughs> Damn right. So after the lawsuit, radium dial painters were still an occupation, shockingly. Shocking. And radium was used until the late 1970s. However, they were no longer instructed to shape the paint brushes with their lips, and they were provided protective equipment. Oh dear God. Okay. They're like, oh yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna. I think we shouldn't do that anymore. They're like, we're just going to change this little tiny thing because you probably shouldn't, like, I don't know, put it in your mouth anymore. So, or, like, eat it, and then everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, in 1971, OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, was also created because of all this. Really? Hmm. That's cool. And who did that? Women. Women. <laughs> I'm sorry. If if you missed that, that is women, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, besides creating a baseline of provable suffering, dial painters were used in studies to calculate ex exposure, exposure, and tolerance levels of radium. In 1968, the Argonne National Laboratory um, was 
created to specifically provide medical examinations for dial painters and to collect information about the effects that the dial painters have endured from radium exposure. This lasted until 1993, and a total of 2,403 cases of exposure were studied. Wow. So if you think about like how many, like how many people I just like talked about that were compensated for this, I mean, I, I was able to mention about 10 people, but there were over 2,400, you know, known cases of radium exposure and all these people that did not, like, weren't compensated. And we're not talking about just, like, getting sick and dying. Like, they were horrible, horrendous death. Yeah. Deaths. Yeah. I mean, losing your jaw and then your you know, someone's arm was amputated and being fired for um, having a limp. Uh, being fired for limping from something that your job caused you. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. So this information led to a book detailing types of radium and radon exposure and which ones cause like what effects and which ones are more dangerous. And basically... Uh, radium 228 is the worstest. The worstest. <laughs> from my scientific perspective, R- radium 228 is the worst. Worstest. Worst. Okay. Word. Yep. That's a good word. Mm-hmm. So, with 2,403 cases, it came out that there were more plants than just the three I mentioned, obviously. Shocking. And one of them was in Elgin, Illinois. Which is so close. Ten to minutes from my house. Yeah. Well, so close to you. I have relocated. You've been there, though. <laughs> um, the Argonne National Laboratory also got permission from Peg Looney's family to exhume her body for research. They later told her family that her body was so radioactive that it had to be encased in lead. Oh my. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, it was a negative test. She definitely yeah, exactly. not exposed, not even a little bit. I mean, not only, like, did they lie about all of that stuff, but they also just buried her. Yeah. And if you think about, like, all the, like, radiation exposure and everything, not only are these companies, you know, lying to people who are dying horrible deaths, but they're also... You know, what What else are they contaminating? Well, I mean, there were so many companies back then that were just dumping things into rivers. And, yeah. like, there was no environmental care whatsoever. It was how to yeah. make money, how to make it fast. They didn't care who got in their way, even people. Yeah. So I feel like the environment yeah. was the last thing they cared about. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, if women were disposable to these companies, then so was nature, and apparently clean water. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, so today, um, in 2011, um, a sculpture honoring the Radium Girls was erected in Ottawa, Illinois. The idea was from a local high schooler named Madeline Pillar. Um, there's a movie that just came out, actually. 
I know it was, I think it was supposed to come out in 2020 and it might have just came out on Netflix because of COVID. Uh, it's called Radium Girls. It's starring Joey King. Um, there's a ton of books. There's poems. There's short stories. Uh, there's a Broadway musical that's called Hazel Flag. And they are all about the Radium Girls. So there's a ton of information and stuff out there. Interesting. Um, I thought I saw this movie, but I think it was um, the woman who invented uh, radium or like found the elements. Yeah. That is yeah, so which Marie I want to talk Curie. about. Yeah, who I want to talk yeah. about. Um, I specifically did not mention her in this because I know that you want to do her yeah. too. Um, but I think one point that you should do is like, she does actually comment on this whole situation, but I'll leave that for you. Oh, okay. I will. Um, <laughs> maybe that should be the next one I do just to like lead into yeah, you this can do that one next. because I was going to do a, uh, serial killer who is super fascinating, but, um, I think maybe I'll switch and do this one because I feel like it'll go with the stories here. Yeah. Um, yeah, this. So I haven't seen this movie, and I want to watch this movie. Um, and also, I like that actress. She's the one. Uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? Joey King. Mm. Or is there somebody else? Brunette. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm so. Oh, her. I'm so bad with names. Uh, she was in another show that I liked. Um. Let me look. Oh, God. I am so bad with names. With actresses' names. What was she in? I don't know any of these people. Um. Oh, uh, Joey King? Is that her name? I just said that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what was she in that I liked? Um, she was in the one about... Um, the where the mom the Munchausen syndrome by proxy oh okay and that movie was real messed up um she was also in I, the didn't, lie I didn't watch it and oh the kissing booth I don't know I've seen all of these movies didn't, really <laughs> it was COVID okay leave me alone <laughs> you get really bored and then there's nothing to watch and I didn't have a car and how many times did you watch the Christmas Prince Brianna? <laughs> Which one is that? I don't know. Probably watched that too. <laughs> I sometimes will put on movies and then just like clean the house and then it's just on. But I totally recognize her from the kissing booth. <laughs> I just remember the Christmas Prince because like Netflix put it was like on Twitter or something and it was like to whoever watched The Christmas Prince every day in December who hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so that's my story. That was really good. I'm really excited to follow it up and and also um, talk about some radiation, you know. Mm-hmm. it It blows my mind to like think that so many people like died and were affected by this and we still use this element today like we're like 
Yeah. yeah. You know, I think this does help with cancer still. And that, you know, like it blows my mind that it's actively used daily on like cancer patients and yes, yeah. it helps, but sometimes it also like, I don't know. I'm, you know, my feelings on a lot of the cancer treatments because it just sometimes I feel like it, it helps and other times it just makes the patient so much worse and it would be better for them yeah. to have a quality of life of what they have left yeah. versus treating them with chemo and radiation to just cause them pain. I also think that, I mean, the biggest concern is just like how out of order this all went. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of ended with, you know, testing, you know, and finding tolerance levels and, you know, that, that should have been done first. And I think that's like the biggest mistake of this. I mean, a lot of good came out of this, you know, situation because we, I mean, not for the victims, the victims did not, you know, monetary compensation could only go so far in a situation like this when you're suffering that much, that's not an adequate, you know, consolation of, you know, you're, you losing your life or, you know, dying in that much pain. But I mean, regulations happened. Yeah. OSHA was created. There was, you know, there was a lot that was developed from this, but at the same time, it just shows how terrible people can be, you know, like this is, and has, and I feel like always will be where society, um, they don't care about people. They want to make the money. And that is why so many things have been put in place to regulate that. Yeah. And it's amazing that there are, you know, our systems that regulate environmental, um, you know, companies that pollute, they have a, you know, a limit of that. They have regulations, they have regulations for OSHA. They like, there's so many things that have are so much better than in the 1917 to 1960s, but still it's just like, it, people are still shitty like that. And that's what sucks. Like, well, yeah. And people are always like, why are there so many regulations on stuff? And it's like, because of this, like (laughs) people don't know how bad things, you know, were at certain points in time. (laughs) Yeah. Like because, people's body parts were falling off yeah yeah I there was um I had a manager at a restaurant that was he would always like make fun of OSHA regulations because he had to like change the poster like let me tell you his like him being affected by OSHA was like him having to update the poster that he hung up and he would just like crack paper cuts (laughs) literally and he would just like say how much of a joke it was and I just like would always be like like it protects you too like it's like it literally protects people who work like that is what it does and it just yeah it just blows my mind people are can be very ignorant on on what it has helped us become so well now we can cite this podcast as yeah a source. yeah let me let me tell you what osha did well <laughs> They were, they were a little late in the game, but it, it came out eventually. 
So, um, so my sources for this, which I will post in the description, um, Wikipedia, uh, the Daily Cause, environmentalhistory.org, uh, the Radiological Society, nukes.org, NPR, Illinois, Illinois. I tried really hard, Brianna. I know. I don't even know where you're from. <laughs> <laughs> Um, would you like to talk about a lady? A lady? Do you wow. have a lady? Um, let's see. Girl, girl crush? What do we call this? Yes. Um, so my girl crush is Atmaro Marrero. I hope I'm saying that correct. Um, and she is on a TV series on Netflix called Startup. Um, She's the lead actress on it, and I just think she does a phenomenal job. Um, especially, I mean, it's pretty much very strongly male uh, casted, and um, Adam Brody. Yeah, it's a good it's a good show. They they haven't so I guess it started in two thousand sixteen. It wasn't a um, they they haven't had a a sign for another series. They're on I think they would be on uh, season four. So, but it hasn't been declined either. So I think there was something that happened, like Netflix just bought it out because it was on a different network. So they were trying to like switch it to a different network and they just did. And now it's on like the top four or something on Netflix. So apparently it's doing good, but um, I just, I don't know. She's badass. So she, she plays really well in the, in the series. And I always love when women are just like really strong and, like dominating in in characters in the in in shows like this, I think she plays she does a good job. So and she's not really well known. So I always like to call out call out stuff like that. Um, I am going to call out the eleven year old girl from Florida, who um, her name's Alyssa, and oh, yeah, she, she was waiting at her yep she was waiting at her bus stop, and someone tried to kidnap her and she fought them off and was successful. And I think that is so awesome. And not only did she fight them off, she smeared blue slime on the guy because she knew from watching law and order SVU with her mom all the time, that that would identify her kidnapper for the police. That's awesome. And that is the coolest thing Ever. So, so did they shout find out to him? Alyssa? Yes. <laughs> like hours later. And he had blue slime on him. So cool. So, go, Alyssa. Wow. Good for her. Also, to know, like at 11, that you have to fight that. Like, I feel like at 11 yeah. years old, I would. I would be so confused. Like my, like, I think I was maybe a little naive back then, but um, yeah, I think I would just be more confused at the situation and not think about fighting. Good for her. I think, I think we grew up in like a little bit of a time that was, it was like, it was in between, you know, like, you know, when no one like locked their doors. Yeah. But then, you know, I think there wasn't a ton of you know, the, the defense perspective that is now, because yeah. there's still like, well, be polite to people, even if they're creepy, like, <laughs> and that's not like, that's not how I raise my kids now. No. Like my kid, like, if you don't like someone, like, you know what, 
good, good instinct, that's okay. Yeah. And also, like, if anyone ever tries to grab your hand or talk to you or anything, you scream whatever you need to, like, whatever you need to do, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Apologize later. But it's so funny you say that because, like, even as a 30-year-old woman, I still feel that I have to be polite in situations where I am getting completely creeped out. Like, like we just had a conversation the other day about like someone hugging me inappropriately and like that made me cringe. And then you were like, well, just don't like hug him. Or if he does try to hug, hug you again, like do a side hug. And like, to me, like, I didn't even think about that was an option. Me, I'm like panicking now the next time he tries to hug me, like you can say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be hugged. I don't want to be touched. Yeah. It is my body, but I'm 30 years old and still feel like I was taught that that's not acceptable. And like, that's not okay. And now there's like girls yeah. being gr- like growing up that this is, you are literally being taught. Like, if you feel uncomfortable, get the hell out of there. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I think also, I'm not sure if, like, maybe our thoughts are different just because, like, I think I've, like, overthought this point so many times just, like, having two daughters. But, like, also, like, you know I me, mean? like, I'm not a really – I don't like to be touched all the time. Yeah. Like, I'm not – like, it's just I, – I don't – I don't like – like, I'm not, like, a really physical person towards a lot of people. And I think it took me a long time to be okay with that. And not think that, like, I'm a bad person or I'm, like, mean or anything. Like, that's just who I am. And that's okay. But you were always like that. Like, when we were growing up, you were – you always liked your space. And, like, I always respected that because I knew that's who you were. And I feel like I am not that type of person. Like, I like to hug people. I'm very, like – I'm not, like – I don't think I'm too touchy-feely, but, like, I like to be, like, hi. Like, when I haven't seen someone that I, like, you know, I show my love by hugging them or kissing them on the cheek. And that's, like, also kind of a cultural thing with our family, I think, because that's just kind of, like, how we grew up. And I think for you, you were very forced to do that where it came, like, more natural to me. And Mm -hmm. you were really good at, like, setting your boundaries. And now I feel, like, guilty for having to set my boundaries because I would never was taught that was okay like yeah it's no I totally get that like it it can feel it can make you feel like a bad person yeah but yeah it takes like a lot of like like a bad person own your body own yourself own yourself (laughs) treat yourself treat yourself (laughs) treat yourself to space treat yourself to boundaries (laughs) (laughs) on our next podcast no I'm just kidding (laughs) um okay that brings me to one other person that I totally now want to mention about boundaries um Brene Brown amazing author if you guys have not seen her Netflix um or not Netflix her um I don't know she's on Netflix and she also does like a YouTube uh, a bunch of YouTube videos and stuff, but a TED talk, which is amazing. One of her TED talks is strictly about setting boundaries with people 
and how like you are your number one and like setting boundaries with, oh my gosh, amazing author. Um, amazing. Like I, I feel like how she does business is incredible and how she just protects her, her emotional boundaries is so healthy, Agreed. you know, stuff like that. Um, I should probably re-listen to that just now that since we're like <laughs> talking about how it's okay to set boundaries, I feel like I should go back and listen to her TED talk um, just about that because I think she's she's so phenomenal. Um, I feel like I haven't heard about her in a while, but boundaries always makes me think of Renee Brown. I feel like she just had something come out, but I can't think of what it was. Let's see. What is her? Uh, oh, yeah. The the power of vulnerability um, that is, and then uh, listening to shame, which I, yeah, she's phenomenal. I know those titles don't really talk about boundaries, but it, it's in there. So yeah, um, it's really cool. If you're not a big reader, we'll just listen to her TED Talks. They're like 20 minutes. Well, those are my girlfriends. Anything crashes. else? No. Ma'am? No, that's um, Well, thank you it. so much. Thank you so much for listening to Girl Power History and tune in next week because history is her story. Thank you to our dear friends, Carly and Dylan Peterson for creating our theme song and show music. You can follow their band Valentine on Spotify and on social media at at Valentine the band. Visit our show description for sources and episode links. Email us at hello at girlpowerhistory.com and follow us on all social media platforms at at girlpowerhistory. 